Welcome to the Working Mama podcast, a show that provides real-world tips, tricks, and advice to all working mamas on how they can have a career, family, and hopefully one day break the glass ceiling. Welcome, mamas. Welcome back to another episode of the Working Mama podcast. Today, I have with me Dr. Monica Rajasagram, who is a medical practitioner, writer, publisher, author, and a life and growth coach for women and young girls. She is also a wife, mum of two energetic girls, and a community builder. Monica is passionate about sharing her life transformation journey with the hope of empowering, uplifting, and inspiring women to live a life of less overwhelm and to hold their hands while walking through their personal life journey. Today, we're going to be focusing on the topic of infertility and the journey uh, that Monica has also been on. Uh, So I will say that some of these conversations may trigger emotions. uh, So I would suggest if you need to reach out to, say, Beyond Blue, Lifeline, COPE, or any of those uh, organizations, I highly recommend it because as what you'll uh, no doubt hear and speak about with today um, through our our journeys. I've also had my um, struggles with infertility and, and so is Monica. So it's a topic that I, both of us are quite passionate about and also helping you get through to the other end um, and actually go through it. So welcome, Monica. Thank you for having me, Karina. Lovely to be here. My pleasure. So why don't we just kick it off and how would you best describe yourself? So I would say I actually don't take myself very seriously. So, you know, so I'm quite an open book. You know, I love people. I love being around people. And um, yeah, I I really don't take myself very seriously. I've always been very passionate about, you know, certain things in life. I've always been like that since I was a child. And uh, even my parents would be like, you know, you're, you're a bit like passionate about these things. So I am, I can get very passionate if it's, you know, a subject that, Uh, maybe I've experienced or just something that touches my heart. The other thing I would say is I'm a very driven person. Sometimes that can play against me, but, you know, I think it's what got me through med school. Um, Seven years of studying through med school and, you know, my early days of training, it was because I was so driven to get to the other end and to, you know, get my first job as as a medical doctor. And uh, even in the recent years, sort of, you know, moving between careers, that's, I think, been um, something that's really worked for me. Because when I put my mind to something, I actually am driven towards that, you know, that goal or that purpose. I have a nine-year-old and a three-and-a-half-year-old. I'm sure driven and passionate are uh, two life skills as well that I'm sure you want your two girls to also pick up on and, and embrace. We'll just shift to today's topic around fertility. And it's, yeah. it's a topic I find similar to miscarriage that we don't often talk about. And I have to say, I've experienced both pregnancy loss as well as infertility. And I had my own struggles uh, in actually falling pregnant uh, with my first child. And it was certainly an emotional roller coaster mixed with doctor's appointments and months of watching other friends fall pregnant. What was your experience uh, with infertility? So my experience with, you know, with infertility um, and pregnancy loss, I guess, we fell pregnant with our first child quite easily. So two years after marriage, we had her. And when she turned one, we were ready to grow our family again. And uh, look, we fell pregnant. So as I mentioned before, we were um, in the Gold Coast in 2013. So we fell pregnant in Gold Coast. And when I appeared for my eight-week scan, it was all fine. And uh, unfortunately, between the eight-week and the 10-week scan, I had a, a bleed at home. You know, I took myself into hospital and obviously it was a pregnancy loss. And, uh, you know, it just just thinking about it right now, and um, I'm actually even writing my own book at the moment, and infertility is a chapter in that book. And and I only just wrote it last week, so it's still fresh in memory. But I remember lying down on that bed and, you know, the, the doctor, you know, telling me this bad news, right? Being a doctor myself, I remember my training days when I had to break bad news to families. And look, you still have to convey the bad news. But there is a nice way of doing it and then a not so 
I guess, not so gentle way of doing it. You almost, you know, if someone's taken out the emotions of that message, the person, the person receiving it can feel either, you know, embraced or they can feel like, you know, it's just another news, like you're just another number. So, you know, just being conscious of that. And I've been on the, you know, on the other side of the bed, telling someone bad, you know, they are bad diagnosis or news. I remember lying on the bed and, you know, the doctor telling me, obviously he was, he was as gentle as he could be and no bad news, you know, is, is going to be received. You know, you're not going to jump up for joy anyway. So, you know, he started off by saying, you know, I'm really sorry, Monica, but I'm not seeing a heartbeat. And I remember that moment. It was honestly like a dark cloud had just like, you know, come over me. And it, it's like, almost like it's a blur. Like you, you, unless you really sit and think about that moment, it almost feels like just another moment. And so anyway, that happened. And I, you know, I got, obviously got dressed again and uh, left the room. And the nurse told me, look, you know, we need to obviously see how this goes and, you know, what happens in the next few days. But let us know if you have any further bleeds or we'll need to book you in for a procedure. So I left that room and I walked um, back towards my car and I sat in my car and uh, Karina, I remember still sitting there for about maybe half an hour in shock, not knowing what was happening. Like I did not know where I was, who I was, you know, it was just pretty much me just in that car. Thankfully I got myself from the room to, you know, the car park. And uh, my older girl was, was at daycare and my husband was at work. So, you know, it was just me. And I still remember being so lost in that space and just not knowing because I think it's something we're not prepared for until it happens to us, right? Interestingly enough, again, coming from a medical profession and background, we know that pregnancy loss is quite a common thing. But why isn't it spoken about? You know, and I, and I can also understand you wouldn't, you wouldn't be talking about miscarriages and pregnancy loss with a mom who's pregnant. Like, you know, why would you, right? But I, I just don't know what the right answer to this is, but maybe there just needs to be more around, you know, when you're in that reproductive stage of your life, whether it just should be something that, you know, maybe is conveyed or made more um, known so that we are aware when it happens to us, that, you know, okay, it, we are not to blame, firstly, because it's not what we've done. And I think a lot of women sit in that space and blame themselves because that's what I did. Yes. You know? Yep. And uh, only two days before I had that scan, I actually went for a really long walk on the beach. So we were living just, you know, a street away from the beach. And that used to be my morning routine. I, you know, the days I wasn't at class or working, that was my routine. And I remember that two days before the scan, I went for my regular walk, which is about 40 minutes, 45 minutes, just a gentle walk. But the first thing I remember thinking about when I was sitting in that car, wondering why did I lose this pregnancy was, was it my walk? Was it my 45 minutes walk that I shouldn't have done? You know? So I think yeah. we always go into that space of blaming ourselves, trying to find a reason and, you know, interestingly enough, as I came out of the doctor's room and sat in the reception area waiting for my paperwork to be done and, you know, all that um, processing to be get done, nothing was spoken to me. No one made eye contact with me. No one came and even put their hand on my shoulder. You know, this, like that moment in time, I, I remember telling myself, like, if I ever have to break bad news, to anyone in their life again, this is not how I want to do it. You know, because the human touch and the human presence is so important when you are giving someone else that bad news, right? Oh, it's important. It, it can actually, I think, almost shape the next process that you go through about how you have that. I've experienced, um, even in my own journey of trying to fall pregnant, going to appointments and having different tests and they'll be on the bed and they're like, Oh, look, you know, you've got say 
low egg count or something else. And I'm just like, well, I'll add it to the list because I've already got this, this, and this, this, what's wrong with me. And that's it. And then even through, and then I actually, during my own infertility journey, I was like, Oh my God. Like I actually felt as a woman, I'm terrible. Like, what am I doing? When I had experienced pregnancy loss and we had to terminate based on medical Mm. grounds at the start of the year. And I had a scan and it was, you know, this child isn't, isn't going well. And I was very fortunate that the final um, doctor that told us the worst news, um, we'd already experienced bad news, but then he made it even worse. But the way he articulated it to us was in such a nice way that it was a lot more understanding for us to do it. And he's a specialist in his field. So I think he's delivered bad news on a regular basis, but it's so different that you're right. When that news comes to you, it is like when you hear it for the first time, it is like a a truck hitting you and you're like, I'm not prepared for this. But the delivery of that information is so important and also how you react as well. Yeah. And I think, you know, and I, I mean, it's been many years now since I've obviously had to deal with um, infertility. I went through five miscarriages, five pregnancy loss at various stages of pregnancy. So this happened from 2013 till 2016. Um, So, you know, three, three and a half years of losses and, I had an ectopic pregnancy in between that nearly took my life. And, uh, you know, it was really traumatic. And, and I think for the first pregnancy, I was actually in Gold Coast where I didn't have my regular medical team. You know, I was in a new place. I pretty much just found an obstetrician um, in the hospital nearby, you know, that sort of thing. But when I came back to Melbourne, I, I went back to my regular obstetrician who had looked after me when I had my first baby. And obviously, I loved the way he looked after us and he had a different approach. He was very gentle, you know, and and again, it comes back to delivery, right? And the care of the woman as a whole, not just her pregnancy, that many pregnancy losses. I also came to a place, like you said, you know, um, you you think something's wrong with you, like, you know, and, and unless someone tells you otherwise, you are stuck in that headspace because you are so focused on trying to get pregnant right? You're so focused on getting your body right, getting things in its best, you know, optimal condition so that you can carry this, uh, you know, this miracle through. And, and when it doesn't go to plan, um, unless someone tells you and tells you repeatedly, you are going to believe otherwise. And that's what happened to me. You know, I said after I think my, so my fourth pregnancy loss was an ectopic pregnancy. And after that, you know, they obviously, they gave me some uh, some medications to try and get me into labor and, and I had to expel that. You know, I, and I did that in, I won't describe it, but let's just say it was traumatic. And then past that, my, my obstetrician actually said, maybe give your body a break. Maybe just, you know, just let, let your body have a bit of time and rest. But the thing is, so my body was falling pregnant, but I wasn't able to hold the pregnancy and carry the pregnancy. And a bit like what you said before, you know, you're in and out of, of clinics, you're in and out of appointments, blood tests, etc. And, you know, they're trying to find why this isn't happening, etc. And, you know, I had multiple, um, like medical procedures to have, you know, a look inside and see what's, you know, maybe structurally, if there was any issues, etc. But what they couldn't understand was because I had already had my first baby. And there is Another um, another issue that I found that I had to deal with was the shame that came with not being able to have my second baby. So this is what we call secondary infertility, which a lot of people don't speak about and don't share about because people assume that if you've had one child, you should be able to have another. The way you had yeah. first, you know. And, it's, it's what people say. Oh, you've had one healthy child. It'll be fine. And you're like, no, it's, yeah. I've had, I've technically fallen pregnant four yeah. times and it's been a very different experience for all of them. And people give you these experiences. They, they tell you things and you're going, reality is very different to what you're actually telling me. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think, you know, this uh, secondary infertility again, like it's hard to, even um, make people understand why why there is such grief in in this process because and another thing that you know and this these are well intentioned people 
you know, they obviously don't mean to hurt your feelings, but sometimes you will hear people say, oh, you've already got one healthy baby. You know, you should be happy with that. You should be grateful with that. And I used to, you know, inside I would cringe on the outside yeah. I would smile, you know, because what do you say, right? To, to, to comments like that. I am grateful. There is no doubt I'm grateful after I had my first child. And I had her, like I said, easy. My pregnancy was easy and, you know, but that doesn't take away, one, the fact that you still want another child or, or another after. It still, it still doesn't, you know, justify the pain that you are going through. A loss is a loss. It doesn't matter whether it's your first, your third, your fifth. It doesn't matter. A pregnancy loss is still a pregnancy loss. And yes, I agree, many women will... You know, they have different coping mechanisms. Different women will grieve differently. Some will move on quickly. Some will, you know, um, require a lot more support. But I think just having this conversation and just like what we are doing right now, you know, it's, it's something that we need to be doing often because we don't speak about it. And we get to that part where, you know, women have gone through losses. And if we're not careful, women start to isolate themselves they start to, and obviously in that age group, when, you know, we're all having babies, you are, again, shifting in your friendships as well. Many of your friends might be having babies. You might be still waiting to fall pregnant. I remember even in my mother's group that we had with my first child, many of them had gone on to have their second and their third, and I was still dealing with pregnancy losses. And what I found myself doing is I started to pull back a little bit. You know, when it came to social events, I would pull back. Um, you know, I felt I wasn't quite fitting in. and I, Or, you know, like a week after my loss, I wouldn't want to be at a social event because I don't want to be sharing, you know, my loss and, and, and in that kind of an environment. So it, it, is a, it is a really difficult space. And I think, you know, the only way around it is really having more conversations around it I won't say normalizing it, but making women aware that it is just part of life. And if it happens to you, just like a medical diagnosis, there is support. There, there are things that we can do to support ourselves and also, you know, other things that we can access like healthcare and, you mm -hmm. know, different services that we can access to help us get through. Because I don't think that's... Um, that's given to us unless we ask for it. And, you know, in that space, you are not in that space where you are asking for help almost. I, I know I wasn't at least. I wasn't going, oh, you know, now I need to go look at, you know, um, seeing a counsellor or a psychologist. No. You, you don't think about it. You, you don't even think about it. Exactly. You don't. Because you, you're in this, in this space where you're just trying to cope, right? You're just trying to get through the next day. And... Um, so I think it's, yeah, it's more awareness, more talking around these things. And, and I think also, you know, um, and I think, you know, just among friendship groups to be comfortable enough to reach out. If you see a mom that's, you know, struggling or a woman that you, it's a bit of a tricky situation to approach a woman and say, look, you know, is there something I can help you with or support you with? But I've done it and I've had a friend do it for me. And I kid you not, when she actually asked me, she asked me the year before I actually fell pregnant with my second one, I had already gone through my ectopic pregnancy. And she one day came up to me and she said, you know, I don't know what it is, but I just feel like maybe you are feeling a bit um, sad about something. Is there, and, and you know, like early in our, in our chat, I described myself as someone who's, you know, quite fun and my energy is quite, you know, vibrant. So for her to have picked up on that, but not, not just stay there, but she actually approached me, gave me permission to actually start sharing. And I think that's important because if you are in a friendship group and you see someone who's going through that, don't just stop at that, you know, approach, but approach with care, approach with, you know, um, empathy. You, you know, you can always ask for permission. Is it okay if I ask you if you are struggling with this? And look, maybe that person on the receiving end might go, you know, whoa, I don't want to, you know, share that with you. I don't, I don't want to give that. I don't want to also see it as a weakness. And I think that's also something around infertility, pregnancy loss, particularly as a female, we're held up to be as, well, you're right, you know, you're 
role in life almost from the Adam and Eve days or wherever you want to take it back to is to reproduce. And I know in my personal experience through my own journey of um, coming into motherhood, if I used to say to my husband, it should be what I am able to do. Cause people would look at me saying, you're a fit, healthy woman in your early thirties. Oh, you'll be fine in falling pregnant. Mm-hmm. And then it's not until say the doctors and things like that start looking inside and they're like, Oh, you've got a bicornate uterus. You've got a thyroid issue. You've got all these other yeah. things. Yeah. And they always said to me, if you fall pregnant on the left, it may not be a viable pregnancy. And then it was like with our, uh, so it was wooden equivalent of our second pregnancy with our son. Um, they said to me, Oh, it's on the second. And then it's on the left side and turns out it was a viable pregnancy but it's just what you also tell yourself and also what the the stigmas and that that you put on to yeah I should be able to fall pregnant like we we had a miscarriage and then it then took me 15 months to then fall pregnant with my son and it was a struggle like and even a friend of mine rang me one time and said to me because I was like I think she might be pregnant and then she said I'm so sorry I am and I said don't apologize I said Mm -hmm. everyone has their own journey I said I'm really excited for you we fell pregnant shortly after it but also I ended up seeking medical help and I actually went on Clomid which not a lot of people they instantly think you've got to go from nothing to say IVF mm-hmm. and I then just uh, my doctors then prescribed me Clomid which worked first month which I was very excited about and we're at a, uh, a barbecue with friends a few months later and I said yeah I, you know I've fallen pregnant thanks to Clomid another friend spoke up and said yep so did I but then we fell naturally with our second and then another friend yet said yeah we needed IVF because of different uh, issues and things and then two other friends that fell pregnant naturally they felt guilty that they could fall pregnant and have fall pregnant very easily so it was a very open and honest conversation and I still reflect on that conversation today because we were in a safe zone at a barbecue with friends talking very openly about our struggles in motherhood that I don't think you often have in in all our friendship circles yeah uh, yeah and i agree and look you know sometimes we assume the next woman has her life sorted right that's just how life is plus now with you know instagram and facebook whatnot we we just scroll through and go oh you know she had it easy she's yep she's got three kids must have been easy etc but honestly we all have a story right and we all have a journey and if someone's fallen pregnant easily amazing that is amazing and something to be celebrated and uh, I remember and going back to you know that conversation you had with your friends at a barbecue I remember when um, I fell pregnant with my first child it was honestly we you know it was easy I remember feeling guilty sharing that with my with a close relative who was a bit older than me by a year or something and she was finding it hard to fall pregnant and I, you know, I couldn't blame it on age as such. I mean, of course, there is a factor to play, but I was 29 and a half and she was 30 and a bit. So, you know, we're still in our prime reproductive age. But I almost felt guilty sharing that with her because of how easy I, it was for me. I think it's a conversation that you have to, you know, just share it from a, not from a point or look at me, I'm so great. Yeah, not from a gloating perspective. Not from a gloating perspective, but it's more, all right, this is my, you know, this is my journey and this is how it happened for me. But also like, for instance, when you said, you know, you had Clomid and you had success, what it does is it gives others the permission to also then start sharing because I think we hold on to our stories so close to our hearts, thinking that no one's going to understand, no one's been through this or someone's going to judge me. But that all always isn't the case. I think as women, and you know, if you are in a safe space and you trust these friends and they've been with you for a while, you know, I think it's 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 a good thing to be able to start opening up and sharing. And look, pregnancy is not just going to be the only thing we, you know, there are many more issues to come that we we hopefully will be able to share, like you know, the joys of menopause and the joys of whatever else prolapsing. Like hopefully none of us go through that. But you know, I think as women, women, life is ever changing and our bodies are changing and it goes through a lot. And I think, you know, if you have that safe space and environment, we need to be able to start using that space 
to you know have these conversations right because it starts there in fact you know i i recently as i said before i was i um i'm writing a book on my own i've co-authored a few books but you know i'm working on my own book and some of the things that i'm writing in there i haven't yet told my nine-year-old right but she is at this point where she is beginning to understand things and you know she understands you know i'm starting to have to teach her about body changes and menstrual cycles and, you know, things like that. It's a conversation that I'm starting to find myself having to have with her because she's no longer a seven and an eight year old. I'm teaching her to respect her body for its changes, you know, looking after her body, hygiene, etc. And uh, as I was writing my book and typing away um, a few nights ago, she came and sat next to me and she was reading a few things. And I was talking about my, you know, my bleed and how, seeing the bleed in the toilet and how, you know, how my heart just sank and I kind of already knew what was coming, but I was still holding on to that hope. And she, she was reading it in silence. And then she asked me, so mom, do you mean to say I have brother, like a brother or a sister that I might have had like more than the one I already had? And I, you know, I almost had a tear in my eye because I was like, you know what? one day this girl is going to grow up to be a woman herself. And she, you know, hopefully will never have to experience what I have. But as a mom, and if I've gone through that, I am not, I will be doing her a disservice if I did not give her the tools and the education before she gets there. Just like how I'm teaching her about her body changes and how she needs to look after her body and how she needs to value her body why not be having that? Of course, I'm not having the miscarriage conversation right now because it doesn't apply to her. But, you know, it's that building that awareness and that trust. And she knows she can now have these kind of conversations with me. I think it's so important as parents as well that, you know, we start opening up, you know, obviously do it in an age appropriate way. But this is not a conversation my mom had with me. Um, you know, she, she, we never even, even the whole, you know, menstrual cycle change was so much, uh, this is what happens, this is what you do, and period. Done. And, it's, and I, I, I was also educated on like, right, as soon as you start, you know, do it, doing the deed, make sure you're on the pill. And I realised, I thought, I've been on the pill for years and then I've then struggled falling pregnant. Like, did I not need to be on the pill? So, exactly, right. And I so, thought I've had... Like for so many years, it was, you know, be safe and things like that. But in no point did anyone say to me, it also might be a journey of trying to fall pregnant and then have a baby. Like I now see having a child and sustaining a pregnancy as such a miracle. Mm. And it's such a journey that no one really, everyone's so focused on the, yep, you're a teenager and this is, you know, safe sex practices. And then... Mm oh, falling pregnant and then everyone skips the next nine months. You've got a birth plan. And then after that, and I always, I've now reflected on going, well, it's actually the nine months you need to talk about because it's such a journey emotionally as well. And saying, yep, one in four women, unfortunately, do experience pregnancy loss and things. And then even after, once you become a mum, what's that life that you want for yourself is what you were saying about how you really changed your career journey around that. So there's so many more things that, yeah, I think it's really opening up those conversations, um, not only with our, you know, daughters, but also I think even with my sons, like with, with sons, like I will be very open and honest with, um, you know, with my children when they're older and saying, look, we did experience this. Um, yeah. And look for my son this year, he's actually what's got us through a pregnancy loss. And that, mm. um, and my husband has, even though he wasn't physically carrying the child, he's definitely shared the um, emotional burden of it as well. Oh, yeah. And that, that he's been through it uh, yeah. every step of the way that it's something that we've both carried. I remember when I was on the phone to him saying, there's something wrong with this child. i with, I was just beside myself and he's, he almost was like, Karina, where are you? I need to come and get you. Um, but it's just one of those things that you don't just carry it. I think you don't just carry it on your own. And also by sharing your story with others, it does lift some of those burdens that you don't have yeah. to feel so guilty and ashamed of as being a, wom- a woman. Because when you start listening to other people's stories, you're going, oh, I'm not such a freak as what you might think either. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and 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 you're so right. You know, even with grief and you know the dads that go through grief, right? I think that's another area and probably a whole new conversation. But um, yeah, I think it's also so important that they be given the you know the the space to grieve because I think sometimes when we go through the pregnancy loss, it's always focused on us. And granted, because you know obviously your body goes through a lot as well, and you know you have to heal depending on how your pregnancy went and you know how you you have to um to the process that you need to get the pregnancy um you know expelled but as the fathers as well i think sometimes we forget to include them and you know my my first pregnancy loss i will say it was all about me i pretty much just say you know what this is my journey this is my loss you need to um you know care for me these are my emotions. It was all about me because it was my first one and I knew no better, right? But it was, I think, at my third pregnancy when I could see the toll it was taking on my husband that it started to really, um, you know, sink in me that this is as much a loss to him because there are dreams and hopes that goes with every pregnancy, right? And, uh, and, and, Again, men grieve differently, women grieve differently. It's about, you know, just having that conversation. And I remember um, when I went in for my scan, so with my ectopic pregnancy, it was a pregnancy that was going perfectly fine. I was still working in a clinic. I was feeling fine. I had all the pregnancy symptoms. And I remember calling my obstetrician's rooms and saying, you know what, I can't actually make my uh, next week's appointment because I've got too many patients to get through can I come in like two days before and have my scan? And uh, he was like, yeah, that's fine. You know, two days is fine. So just come in. And so I shifted all my patients, you know, moved everyone around, went in for my scan. And it was in that moment when they couldn't find the pregnancy in my uterus. My obstetrician's like, oh my goodness, where is this pregnancy sitting? And then that sort of, you know, started the whole process and they found it was to be an ectopic pregnancy. And uh, he was telling me, if you didn't come in this afternoon, I don't even want to know, you know, things could have become so much more worse. And it was while I was there having my scans that I started to feel really unwell and I was in like excruciating pain. And I remember calling my husband and he was at work and I said, look, you know, this is what's happening. Can you come and uh, be with me? And he literally dropped everything. He came and, um, you know, just watching, you are going through the physical and the emotional. They are going through the emotional pain, but they're also feeling really helpless. And I know many fathers would say, I would, you know, I wish I could do something in that moment, right? But I think also just giving them that space to grieve because at the end of the day, it is, you know, half of them. And uh, it is, you know, a hope that they held on as long as you were trying to fall pregnant and, you know, the pregnancy was viable. So um, that's a really po a good point that you raised because I, I don't think that's, you know, spoken about enough. And, you know, I think it's something that we need to get better at. And it can start in our, our own homes. Like you said, you know, this is a conversation that you will be happy to have with your son because we are raising the future generation. And, you know, one day they are going to have their own families. And um, again, it's all about awareness, right? Um, we want our husbands to know the body changes that we are going through. After all, at some point when you're trying to have a baby, your bodies have to be in sync and you have to, you know, be together to have a baby. So why not take them on the journey as well? You know, because I think one in four, that's that's a pretty significant um, statistic. It's a pretty high number. Yeah. It is. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, just as women don't realize that they can be a statistic quite so easily, just like I didn't realize in 2013 until it hit me that one day that I'm now part of the one in four, um, you know, husbands need to be able to go on that journey as well. And, you know, just having a simple conversation, you know, in the lounge, like, you know, I'm sorry that, you know, this has happened to us. And, you know, if you need some space and time to grieve or, you know, just supporting, I think it's important. Oh, it's, really, it's, it's definitely, um, it's a topic I'm, was never so aware of, uh, but mm. definitely now very passionate about um, mm. and actually trying to normalize the conversation and, and things like that. Mm. And you've been through such a journey 
how have you overcome some of those emotions? And as what you said at the start, you're so driven and passionate. What has really got you through, um, through this journey? Because it's definitely, you know, a lot of people of, you know, one after the other, it, it would no doubt get you down and it, it's it's going to be a challenge and and also then socially and professionally and that so how have you overcome or even just working through those emotions because as we know you never get over a loss I say that you never get over it but you learn to live with it so how have you really living with these experiences yeah so you know it it happened like I said all happened between 2013 and 2016 and I was still holding a full-time career I was still you know going into work seeing my patients and, you know, I would go from a scan, a bad news, I would, you know, sometimes take a day or two off, and then I would go back into work, and I would be, you know, having patients, like a full day of clinic work. And I, I remember somewhere along the line, I can't tell you exactly where, because, you know, it was so many losses in that space of time. So I would grieve one, get over one, I would fall pregnant again, and then lose that. And so it was like a, Jeez, like, it's such you know, a cycle. It is such a cycle. And what I found I was doing that I was so focused on having this second child. I was so focused. I re- My heart's desire was that I wanted to have another child or more. But at that point, obviously, I was like, you know, I'm so focused that I found myself losing my sense of joy. Thankfully, I did not experience the full sort of uh, state of depression. But I, I will admit that I had, you know, a few days in between where I would just literally don't want to do anything. I still had to show up to work. But if you knew me enough and my staff around me, the nurses that worked around me will, you know, obviously pick up on my vibe and my body language. And they will sort of just, you know, work around my energy. But some of them knew what was going on and, you know, they would respect my you know, just the way I did things for the day, I would just be a bit low in energy. But I think once I was with my patients, I, I transformed into my professional life. So kind of you, I detached myself from what was going on in my life. That was a coping mechanism that worked for me. Again, everyone will have, you know, different ways to cope around things. Some will prefer to take time off work for a longer time, etc. But I felt like I had to be Um, in work, at work, because I had to find, I guess, something to to do in the day or something to keep me going in the day. Because I think sometimes you just sit in this space of grief and if you're not careful, you can spiral. Within days, you can find yourself just, you know, not showered, not eaten, not, you know, not looked after yourself, which is, you know, sometimes that's how grief looks for a day to, you know, however that looks for you but I remember for me I just had to show up to work that was how I did it and um, I'm a woman of faith I would say if it wasn't for my faith I would have been in you know I would have been really broken because in that five years I truly grew in my faith and I don't say this you know just as a passing conversation it is truly what anchored me to my life and my purpose. Like every day I would just sit. And of course, some days I was angry and all God got from me was my tantrums. Like, you know, and on some days I would be really grateful that I'm still alive. I have a child, I have a family, um, you know, especially after that ectopic pregnancy because it was such a, a near miss. Like my obstetrician like, if you did not show up this afternoon, Monica, I you would have either lost one side of your tube or your life, like one or the other. So I was honestly so grateful past that because I had a three-year-old, right? And, and, and so there were days that I would sit with a grateful heart. There were some days I would sit with an angry heart, but that's the beauty of, you know, having, having that relationship, like for me, for instance, with my faith, that it really got me through. But the other thing that I realized I had to do was I had to find my sense of joy again and not to be so focused on my pregnancy that, you know, I was beginning to miss out on moments where my three-year-old would do something funny that you kind of just want to capture in your heart. But because you're so burdened by this need to fall pregnant that you're missing out on those moments, 
there were many moments where I would sit and go, you know what, if I wasn't this upset or this sad, that would probably be a moment I would want to mm. capture. But because I was so engrossed and so, you know, consumed by the grief and the, and the anger and the shame and all that came with it, I was missing out on the moment of, you know, my three-year-old growing up as well. So I, I kind of, there was a, a light bulb moment after my third pregnancy loss where I kind of said to God, you know what, I give up. I, whatever comes, comes. If it is your will, then so be it. If it is not your will that I don't, you know, that I not have another child, then so be it. It was kind of like a cry out for help, cry out to surrender, but also kind of like a give up, you know, I'm done. I'm done trying. I'm done trying to do everything in my strength. And um, it was kind of like a light bulb moment. We had a little um, walk-in closet, not massive, like literally a small walk-in closet. And I remember my husband bought me this nice floor pillow and I used to go in there and I used to sit and journal because I just wanted to be in the confines of this little space. It had a little bulb and um, it was carpeted. So it was quite nice and cozy. And I would go there, I would cry, I would pray, I would journal. And little did I know my journaling was becoming words that were waiting to come out of me. It's like a therapy. Right? And so it was therapy for me. And uh, I would write and write and write. I would write for hours, Karina. Sometimes I would start at like 9 p.m. once my little girl is down and I would go into my closet. I won't come out till midnight. And I've written like words and words, pages after pages. And I did this for about two years. So after my third pregnancy, when I had that light bulb moment, I was looking for my sense of purpose and joy again. And um, still showing up to work, but in the evenings, this is what I would be doing. And I wrote so much that when I got to uh, 2016, just before I fell pregnant for my, uh, with my second child, who is, who is now three and a half, I started to blog my writing, right? And because I, I just wanted, I just felt led to let those words out of my pages. And when I started blogging, the amount of women that came by and said, you know what, thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for saying that it's okay for me to grieve a six-week pregnancy loss because some people said, oh, six weeks is not really a pregnancy. And that's how it started to grow. And, and when I started to share, that kind of gave me a sense of purpose because you know I was looking at my journey as a way to open up that conversation as well. And, and that started bringing in, you know, uh, lots of readers. And that's pretty much how my writing journey started, right? And one day I started uh, writing letters to my unborn children. So I have a letter for each of my five pregnancy losses. And just thinking about it Beautiful. brings me yeah. back to... But that was the way I shared my, my love for them. That's really special. And... Uh, and I started writing these letters to them. So each time I would lose a pregnancy, I have a letter. And, you know, the, the letters are safely kept. And maybe one day I will, you know, show it to my current children, my two girls. And they will be able to read it and understand my journey. But, you know, I think it's important that we find something that lights us up again. Because I think women don't realize that pregnancy loss is actually like a death. It is painful for some women. And I actually know some women who lose a pregnancy and go on with life pretty wow. quickly. But a majority of women will grieve, whether their grief is seen or not, whether they feel validated to share the grief or not, it's a different story because I think a lot of women grieve inside. We carry that grief with us in silence. Um, and like you said, you know, it, you don't lose that grief. You get better at learning to cope with it and you learn how to um, embrace it as part of your journey because like, you know, we all have a journey and look, if, if I didn't experience those losses, not that I wish it on myself or on others, but if I didn't experience those losses, one is I would not be probably doing the work I'm doing today. Two is I probably people, the women who need me will probably not relate to me because I've not walked in those shoes before. And so, you know, 
coming back to me being a woman of faith, I believe that everything that happens to us is for a reason. As hard as it is to swallow that fact, it is because it shapes the person we are becoming, right? And that's life. That's what, that's what life is about. It's about who you are becoming. It's not about what, who you are, but who you are becoming because it's an ever-evolving Yeah, and we're, we're constantly changing and re-evaluating, you know, as motherhood. It, it, it changes us in ways that we never, ever expected. And I'm the same that, yeah, we pregnant our pregnancy and even our parenting journey has definitely shaped who I am I'm definitely a lot more grateful for for the children you know that I'll have and and also the outlook that I have I think I'm definitely a lot more open-minded but I've also particularly in the last 12 months learned so much more about myself and it's you know you can I'm sure it's you experience it can be a strain on a relationship but also I have to say even when we're going through the worst phase of my life, I would, I would say um, it actually brought my husband and I closer together. And I know it can also do yeah. the opposite with people, but it's something that I think it changes you in a different way. But as what we've been discussing um, throughout today's podcast, everyone has a different journey. Everyone has a different story <laughs> and it's okay to actually have your own yeah. story. And everyone's unique. Everyone's individual. Everyone weirdly has things happened for their own reason i yeah there's different been different moments in my own life of sliding door moments and i'm like yeah i think this is you know happening for just in the way that it is that it is okay and that's one big thing i'm really passionate about as well now after my pregnancy loss it's okay not to be okay and it's okay to have your own journey and that's what you yeah. really should and even through motherhood and as being a working mum as well do what's best for you and your family because it's just so important. And we all have different ways of coping. You can say, oh, this person got over it in two days. Like mm-hmm. I know to me, to my friends, I may go, oh, Karina's coping really fine. And I'm like, yeah, cool. Cause I can put some makeup on, I can put lipstick on and I can look happy, yeah. but I know that I do have my down days and I have my triggers that make me want to curl up and not yeah. face the world. But you know what? It's okay to have those moments, I think as well. Yeah, and I think that's it, right? I think women need to, we need to give ourselves grace and be gentle on ourselves. It's okay to have one of those those days that you just want to curl up and do nothing. Just stay off social media. Don't look at other people conquering the world. Like, just, just do you. Grieve the way you need to grieve. Get the support, you know, that you need. Ask for help. But, yeah, just be gentle on ourselves. I remember just, you know, giving myself almost like a timeline, like I need to feel better by this day. Like you, you can't. can't because you're, it's a human emotion, right? You, yes, you, I think the good thing is you're aware that you are grieving because if you're aware, then you are aware that, okay, you might need extra support or, okay, things are just not getting better now. I'm like day 10 or something. Then obviously you need to, you know, be aware and um, get the support that you need, whether it's medically, you know, with someone you trust, etc. But I think just being gentle on yourself and, you know, giving yourself grace to go through those emotions and go, because it's not just body changes. It's, you know, everything. Like once you carry a pregnancy, you are a mom. You are technically a mom that has lost a child, right? That's the way I look at it. Maybe others may not look at it that way. For me, doesn't matter. The moment you have heard All a heartbeat yep. and whether it's six weeks, seven weeks or eight weeks, I, I know some people will say, oh, you know, under X, X week, it's really not a pregnancy yet. But to me, it's once conceived, it's a baby. You know, it's a, it's a miracle in its own right. So. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. Uh, I know we've gone on a lot longer than what we were originally yeah. um, expecting it, but obviously it's a topic that we've both had different experiences on. And I think Monica, you've definitely been through a journey and it's, um, I have to say quite inspiring to see where you are now uh, on, on the journey that you've, you've been on. And I hope that if you are listening, please know that you aren't alone. If you have experienced, you know, infertility challenges, pregnancy loss, it's something that sadly we don't talk enough about. um, But I think one thing as well that we both want you to know that you are not alone and it's okay to also talk about it as well. 
Is there anything, any other final words you want to add on this topic? No, I think we pretty much covered a lot. And of course, we can go on for a few more hours, but let's not <laughs> do that. Um, but no, I just wanted to say, as you said, Karina, I think it's, it can be a lonely journey. And, um, you know, the important thing is just to know that you are not alone. And, you, you know, a loss is a loss. Your pain is valid and your pregnancy loss is valid. And, you know, get the support that you need. And, um, yeah, just be gentle and be kind to yourself. Great. Great words. And last but not least, Monica, what do you do to fill your cup? So what I do to fill my cup is I am a big journaler. So I love journaling, like literally is my go-to every day. And uh, I actually do this practice called morning pages. And basically you do three pages of free flow writing every day, first thing in the morning. Journaling and walking. I don't do very long walks. I'm more of a everyday 20 minute sort of walk person. I don't go for the 45 minute hour walk, but I do love my 20 minute walk with a podcast in my ear or yeah, just some music. So, but that's my go-to for self-care. Fantastic. And thank you so much for your time today. It has definitely been a journey and I think uh, an exploration certainly uh, across infertility and pregnancy loss that I know may be triggering for some. So I will also say, please reach out to organizations and speak to someone if it's a friend, a professional uh, or one of the free counseling services such as Bears of Hope, uh, which if you've listened to my podcast before, it's um, I'm very uh, passionate about Bears of Hope, also Cope and Lifeline and many of other organizations that are out there. Please lean on those because they will be there to support you. And Monica, how can people connect with you? So I am uh, mainly on Instagram and Facebook. So Instagram is monica.d.r and Facebook, you can look me up at About Her Tribe. And uh, my website, which is drmonicadr.com. Fantastic. Well, I wish you every bit of happiness uh, in the future and best of luck in your future career opportunities, uh, both in the coaching as as well as medical space. So thank you so much again for today. It's been a great chat. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Working Mama podcast. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast catch-up. I invite you also to join the Working Mama community on Facebook and join in the conversation with other like-minded working mums. Please also feel free to contact me on any of the Working Mama social channels. Remember, Mama is M-U-M-M-A or website www.workingmama.com.au. I would appreciate you to share this podcast with friends and colleagues, especially those that are parents managing the juggle. And I would really appreciate if you had to take the time out to leave a review of the podcast. Thank you and see you next time. Have a great week.